0: And Chuck will get one for you. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Everybody else got one. Amen. Think somebody else needs one, Chuck. Yeah. All right. That's good. So on page seventy-nine, we're going to talk about angels in the Book of Revelation. Amen. The Revelation to John the Baptist on the Isle of Patmos. And Brother Summerall says here, if you discover one word used 72 times in one book of the Bible, you can safely assume that God considers it very important. So he's saying here the word angel or angels is used 70 times, 72 times in this one book. So it speaks of things that angels are going to be involved in. And and their involvement is preordained. It's from the foundation of the earth. So God knows the end, the Bible says, at the beginning or from the beginning. Or in the beginning, God knows how it's going to end up. So that's why we are calling him the God of foreknowledge. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And he knew that angels would be very active because there would be judgment coming because of man's disobedience. He knows all of those things. And so when you talk about God's foreknowledge, it's amazing to me that he can um, He can act so perfectly in all situations knowing what's going to happen. There's a part of God, it's his will, that allows him to know things in advance but not be moved by them. See, it's hard for, humans can't do that. If we know anything, we're going to blab it. We're going to react to it. We go, you know, we don't have that divide where we, that's what holiness does. See, God separates the holy from the profane. He separates out the things that don't need to be mixed in. And so he knows, he, he knows people when they get saved, they're going to backslide, you know, the ones who do. So, and he still gives them his best, his son and the ability not to do it. But still, the, in, in, you never get an inkling from God that he gives you less because he knows you're going to fail at something. You got me? His, he's constant. That's what holiness is. That's part of his holiness. It, it is consistent all the time. If I knew you were going to mess up, I wouldn't give you Much of anything. You understand what I'm saying? But God gives us his so consistent all the time. You know why? Because his faith is what's carrying us even to our point of decision where we make the wrong decision. So it's amazing how God can do these things, but that's God. Amen. That's how he rolls. He says you'll see angels mentioned 72 times. He says, too, um, uh, the last portion of the New Testament, the revelation, has far more to say about angelic activity than any other portion of God's word. In one sense, angels are bookends for the revelation. And you understand that I say that reverently, chapter 1, verse 1. So in other words, chapter 1, verse 1, it starts with angels and then the last, the end of the last chapter ends with angels. Amen. So it's good to know that God uh, uh, has angelic help to carry out much of what's being going to be done in the end times. So we're going to see more activity of angels. We're going to see more input from angels. And there will be more things that angels must do that humans cannot do. At the end time. So the closer we get to the end, the more you're going to see God act sovereignly with messengers and heavenly beings, uh, because at, as time grows shorter, there's none to waste. So you'll see angels come into activity when God definitely needs to get something done and he don't want no monkey business. You got me? Other than that, he'd give it to us and <laughs> we, could, we could miss it two or three times and learn how to do it better and all that. Well, at the end of the age, there's no time for trial and error and all of that. There's just a, a carrying into the end of, of this age. So So that's good to know. Angels really become a security for us for the will of God. Because they'll do what God says without wavering, without moving, you know. And so uh, it says here, Revelation 1 verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So the angel gave John this revelation when we turn to the final chapter in the last section of verses angels appear again holding the revelation in a single tight unit they are pointed out by our lord himself i jesus have sent mine angel to testify unto you of these things in the churches so jesus will send angels with messages to testify to people and that's very important because We think more in the church age of us carrying forth the gospel. You know what I'm saying? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We think we're the center of God's work in the earth. But when you look at it here at the final wrap-up, you see angels coming in and kind of taking over things. And that really is because they act sovereignly in the will of God. They do not have a will to oppose God. We do. So he uses the stronger to compensate for the deficiencies of the weaker. And because he knows angels are going to carry out exactly what he said. we got to get 15 confirmations, pray about it, wait five years. You understand what I'm saying? We don't have time for that at the end. When it's the end, is the end. So the book of Revelation is generally a chronological unfolding of future events so let's look at the angels in Revelation and their ministry as it progressively unfolds. He says here more than 10% of the references to angels are found in connection with the letters to the seven churches that were at Asia Minor. Now these were real churches with real congregations, but they are also prototype churches for churches that exist now. You know, people are pretty consistently the same. What they did back then, they tend to do now. Amen. When when uh Paul told the women to shut up in the church and quit hollering over across the aisle, hey Harry, did you hear what he said? I told you I was right. right, huh? That's what he meant when he told women to shut up, quit talking to Harry. Talk to Harry when you get home, and ask Harry what he thought the pastor said instead of the reverse all the time. So uh, you know, same stuff now. I've been in churches where everybody elbowed the person next to them because they had told them something or thought they told them something before they, see, told you I was right, elbowing each other. He says, it's fascinating to consider that God might have detailed angels to carry messages to specific congregations. The meaning of angel is simply messengers. So when he he talks about uh, uh, angels, it's because they do carry a message. They carry a, a, a specific message. Uh, sometimes they carry out judgment, which is another form of message. Uh, and so time, sometimes they give warnings, which is a type of message. You will recall that on one occasion the Apostle Paul was caught up into the third heaven. He testified he heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for man to utter. So angels tend to have their own language around the throne, and it is a, it, to the hearer, it's kind of an overwhelming thing because he says it's unlawful for man to repeat what they heard up there in heaven. So there's a holiness about the conversation around the throne of heaven and i think that's true about the end of the age as the end of the age comes the church is going to hunger more for holiness and for intimacy from god and from uh, empowerment by god uh in every day we people are getting less and less concerned about the things that pertain to this life christians are and so they're they're getting to have a hunger more and more for something real Something that feeds the real them that feeds a spirit man. Uh, you can you can tell because you can get into any conversation with somebody, and the minute things start to to shift in the direction of talking about heavenly things people forget about talking about what kind of car they like what they're going to have for dinner uh, you know all that stuff so there is a hunger and a drive there that has always to be present God has to have get somebody in some type of spiritual thirst or dryness or lack in order for him to get them move them closer to him so that he can pour out what he needs to pour out on the earth. I believe the glory of the Lord is here. I, we used to say it's coming, but it is here because we're seeing it in increments. Uh, we talked, uh, uh I think it was last Sunday, about it starts out the size of a man's hand, just like the prophet saw, that little cloud. And the outpour of rain really is the glory of God. That's, that's the greatest rain that you can ever have. So literal rain is just symbolic of the rain of the glory of God where he pours it out on all flesh, and what did he say? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Old men will see. And see, you're seeing more of that. We have had a hunger for prophetic things and we've had a, a measure of them. Uh, it, we've had it 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 ministered on the level of relating to your natural needs because many times people doubt if God's going to take care of them i mean really when you think about it that's just just kind of real basic but you know you let somebody mess with your money and see what you you understand what i'm saying and so people have to get understood okay god will take care of me now that i'm taking care of what can i do for god and so that's the place we're at now most of the songs that you're hearing now have that hunger thing in them if you really listen to, for for what the the whoever insp- whoever wrote that song got inspired, you'll you'll see that people are crying out for something more, and when that happens and it happens on a large scale, you can believe that God's gonna pour out because that's what He wants to get us to the point of spiritual desperation, spiritual dryness, and spiritual hunger, so that we will hunger and thirst for the right things. And so when we start to understand that God wants to pour out his spirit on all flesh, I mean all flesh, anybody that's hungry and willing to reach out to him will receive of his spirit. And then we are able to pour out of our spirits onto other flesh. And so when when we begin to understand what God's doing, uh, and, and, and this is how... Uh, People turn the world upside down in the book of Acts. This is how people turn the world upside down at Azusa Street. Those people came in and stayed in those meetings until God said go and they went all over the earth just like the book of Acts. A lot of the missionaries that we knew as famous people, the John G. Lakes, the um, uh, Brother Summerall, people in that genre have were received of a baptism in the Holy Spirit and they went out and did the works of God. You see what I'm saying? And they didn't wait around and go to Bible school. There was no holding tank for the people of God. They just went at the command of God and shared what they had, and then God added more to it as they went. He'd rather have a a runaway horse than to have to beat a dead one back to life. You got me? And that's what we got in many churches. We got dead horses. That people stand up there and preach the same messages over and over again trying to beat those people back to life. And so when somebody in that bunch gets a hunger for something real and they look in the book of Acts and get convicted, go ye into all the world. I've never done that. I'm scared God won't use me when they get sick of making excuses for why they don't obey the gospel the great commandment then that hunger will start to get in them and God will pour out to them and they'll be equipped to go and do what God said to do and he worked with the church confirming his word with signs following it's got to be that we have had enough of great swelling words of man's wisdom with no confirmation that God's working with that person. The anointing's hovering over it, but there's no sign confirming that God gave them that message. Most of them are their own messages. They keep preaching them over and over again because they're popular and people like them. People jumping up and shouting and screaming your name is not a sign confirming the word. Don't get it twisted. You can make anybody jump up and get excited, but it's God working with that. You know he's working with it because signs follow. People get healed, people get delivered. Amen. And so we have to understand that there is a real gospel that is yet to be preached in all the world. Got me? So, so uh, he says talking about here and says we're talking about what happens at the throne of God. So he says these words are unspeakable for a man to utter. So these are holy things. But he was able to partake and hear them. He said we must be very careful in any speculation about what Paul referred to here. But it's possible that he was allowed to witness in a prophetic vision what is described in Revelation as, And all the angels stood round about the throne saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. So he really heard angelic worship. Amen. He heard angelic worship. Did Paul see and hear angels? I don't know, of course, but I think he did. I think he would say it was simply indescribable in glory and majesty. So that's when tongues take over. When you can't describe something. <laughs> amen. Praise God. So, amen. We have looked previously at the fact that one of the chief functions of angels is to worship God. We see in Revelation that they will have that privilege throughout eternity. Amen. And we will too. How disappointing it is it, it is to end our view of the heavenly scene and let our eyes again focus on the things of earth. Amen. Here instead of angels praising God we see men and women blaspheming, living in sin with no sense of obligation to God. Why is that? At least a partial answer is found in Ecclesiastes 8.11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. So God really wants people to come to repentance. That's why he doesn't execute sentence right away when people sin. And I'm very thankful for that. I don't know about you. Lou. But there does come a time when your cup of iniquity is full. When he's had enough, man, it's time. Time to bring you before me and account for what you're doing down there. In this age of grace, all men benefit from the long-suffering and patience of God. He does not immediately punish sin, but there is coming a day when he will. And he will use his angels as agents of his vengeance. In an earlier chapter, we had already looked briefly at angels as instruments of God's judgment. Let's now focus on their activity and that role in the book of Revelation. So there are warnings that angels bring forth, says the angelic job of warning people. And then if the warning is not heeded, bringing about the judgment of God will be especially enforced during the end times in relationship to the Antichrist. It says, let me begin to explain the above by quoting from the 14th chapter of Revelation. And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image... And receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand; the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up for ever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receives the mark of his name. During his brief reign on earth, the Antichrist is going to control completely the economic life of everyone. No one will be able to buy or sell unless he has a mark on his forehead or his hand. So people will have to make a decision to identify themselves with God's people and suffer death as a consequence or to go along with the Antichrist. The great majority will make the wrong choice. They will say, I am ready, give me the mark. Then, like a dam that is broken, the fury of God will spring forth. Notice how angels are involved. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in the sickle and reap, for the time is come for you to reap. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden down about without the city and blood came out of the winepress even into the horse's bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. So what a terrible picture this is of God's coming judgment but one that is fully deserved. Now we think of angels as blessing the world and strengthening and guiding us down here. They do, but there is coming a time when they will be dealing out the wrath of a righteous God. Where do you stand just now or yeah, under the blessing present blessing of angels or under the coming judgment? I pray that every reader of this book might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior. My words to you may not be effective, but will you receive warning from the word of God? I urge you to get a Bible and read the 16th chapter of Revelation, which is too long for me to quote here. You will note how seven angels are used by God to execute his fierce wrath on an unbelieving world. It's a terrible, terrible picture of things to come, and I would have you avoid it at all costs. God is not only going to judge individuals during the Great Tribulation, but he's also going to bring judgment on world systems. There are two Babylons mentioned in Revelation. One in chapter 17 and one in chapter 18. Now this is the first time I've heard him refer, anybody refer to it as two Babylons. But we know that there's a spiritual Babylon and then there's a political Babylon. There's a, a religious and a secular Babylon because in fact we, we have often said that the religious spirit and the political spirit are the same spirit. They just work in different realms. One disguises himself among the people in the religious world, the churches and so forth. The other one disguises himself among the people in the secular world. And so the the spiritual Babylon is actually a seat of spiritual authority in the second heaven. And it rules from there and it releases instructions to different princes and principalities down here on earth. So there's a relay system between the demonic angels to the second heaven and down to earth. And so that spiritual Babylon, um, if you look at it, you think about it. Now we, we read in, in the book of Genesis that they built the tower of Babel and God confused their language. And God looked down and said, and they were going up to get into heaven to take over from God. Now we don't know how far they got so they probably got to the second heaven you understand i mean these things are real and so they have a an established seat because when they were one language and one mind they were able to ascend almost up into heaven god confused the language and stopped their building but they still have a seat in that realm and so that would account for the second heaven being a place of great uh, um, spiritual energy of the dark side. So there are, in, in their people, you see some of the testimonies of people who have actually gone to heaven, been transported to heaven. And they all speak of going, piercing through an area, a region of great darkness and negative angelic activity. Before they went, went to the third heaven. You got me? And so when we talk about these angelic presences, they are real. Their power is real. You got me? It's a deceptive power. We have all power, but we gotta stay out of deception and stay out of their business in order to get benefit of that. Amen? And so when you talk about these things, these things are real. They, uh, these angels, because of, of Adam giving over authority, to Satan, they have power on earth till we move in the power of God. If God could get his people to be consistently moving in the spirit and not in the flesh so much, then we could get some things done. Got me? But every opportunity that we get to to uh, stay in the realm with God, we should take it because that helps God's work down here on earth. So the first... Babylon to be judged is a religious one so the the natural babylon was destroyed but there is a spiritual force of babylon that is still very active so uh it's a religious one and he says we can not be certain of its exact identity but i want you to see how an angel was involved in giving john information he wrote and there came one out of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying unto me come here i will show unto you the judgment of the great whore that sits on many waters now when he talks about that he's talking about a spirit that engages any and everybody she's not faithful to anybody she lives on her own uh, she uh, says, uh, "I I am a, a, a widow, and and uh, you know she just lives on her own, like a lot of women do now. No man, not interested in no man. They'll even find another woman to have kids with, and all that kind of stuff. So this Babylon is coming to its its cup of iniquity being more and more full. You're able to see now the evil." that's in the satanic forces there's a great deal of confusion about people's sexuality their sexual identity when people stop uh, uh obeying the first commandment to be fruitful multiply replenish the earth and subdue it then we got problems and so we're not fulfilling the purpose that god called us to that's why you see diseases pop up and early death come with that because if you don't fulfill the purpose of god that that lets you know that shuts down your life and your usefulness on earth you got me now the exception being you know people who can't conceive for whatever reason and then christians some of whom are called to work for god and to live single you got me but that ain't everybody you understand what i'm saying don't try to play me there but uh, you know what I'm saying. So, so you know, that, that there's mercy there. But God will make you fruitful spiritually. So there's a, a, a second part to that. But this Babylon will be judged, a spiritual Babylon, a religious one. And he says, the angel was involved in giving John this information. He wrote, and there came one of the seven angels, which had seven vials, talked with me, saying to me, come here. I will show you the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters. So that means her influence is worldwide. Many waters talks about nations. When when the Bible talks about water, it talks about souls, voices, nations. That's, those are synonymous terms. She sits on them, it means she oppresses them. She's not good to them. Even more striking is the angelic involvement with regard to the second or economic Babylon described in the next chapter. And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power and the earth was lightened with his glory and he cried mightily with a strong voice saying Babylon the great is fallen is fallen and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. That is a remarkable prophecy having to do with the tribulation period. Nowhere else is an angel described quite like that. His mission is to judge economic Babylon. Some say that it's New York City, where the United Nations is. Of course, until the UN moves, and if it moves somewhere, then it's something different. But we don't understand these things. You know, we barely can read, y'all. You know what I'm saying? As far as God is concerned. So, <laughs> skipping over words, uh, I think that's a, You know, so come on now. So, uh yeah. So, and God won't reveal it in that sense to people because then people be wanting to go and do it themselves instead of waiting on God. Artists often picture angels having bright countenance. Where they? Where do they get that idea? Perhaps from Revelation 19.17, and I saw an angel standing in the sun. That seems to refer to a brilliance that shone from his face. What a sight that would be. I don't think our eyes would remain on the angel for too long, however, because this one, too, has a work of judgment to execute. The rest of Revelation 19 tells how the remains of a great army provide food for the fowls and then how at last the beast and the false prophet and those who worshipped his image are all cast into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. The preceding have been just some highlights of angelic involvement in the judgments described in Revelation. You'll want to read the entire book of Revelation for yourself to appreciate all that angels will be doing in the end times and pay special attention to those passages that have not been discussed much in this study as they re- relate to judgment. For example, chapters 4 through 13 and 20 through 22. So you've got a little homework to do there and finishing up. Uh, but it's interesting that God sends out angels, and and men are not involved in it because we are the ones that are under judgment. So you can't you can't be under judgment and judge too. So you got got to do one or the other. So God will use angels to do jobs that men cannot do, and uh, that and men are not called to do. Thank you, Chuck. Tell your girl uh, Rachel you missed her today. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take about five minutes for our quiz.